Hi, everyone. I'm Greg Lowe from Down Under in Australia. Cosmos Down Under is a production from SQL Down Under. Cosmos DB is a trademark of Microsoft Corporation. Opinions and views expressed in the podcast are individual and don't necessarily reflect the opinions and views of SQL Down Under or of Microsoft Corporation. Introducing show six was guest Vincent Philippe Lozon. Vincent Philippe is a product manager for the Custo service or Azure Data Explorer. He owns the ingestion and developer productivity features and comes from a career of solution architecture. Welcome, Vincent. Hey, thank you. How are you doing? Great. So what I might get to do really briefly first up is just uh, tell us about your role and what you're involved with. Sure. So I'm a product manager. So we're in charge of, you know, the product itself. So managing the new features, the existing features, talking to customer, seeing where customers are struggling, where we could do better and that type of thing. So the growth of the product, basically, that's part of the engineering of uh, at Microsoft. Mm. And you're um, based in Montreal? I'm based in Montreal, Canada. Yeah, on mm -hmm. the East Coast. Awesome. <laughs> That's good. So listen, if we start with uh, what, what got me interested in the topic for today is I noticed there was a preview appeared for ingesting data from Azure Cosmos DB into Azure Data Explorer. And so um, maybe it'd be a good starting point, maybe even just to explain, to make sure everybody's sort of across it, uh, just, just what is Azure Data Explorer? Sure. So Azure Data Explorer also sometimes well, I'll call it Custo. So forgive me if, we, mm -hmm. if I do so. It's <laughs> an analytical same too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was the code name of the product, and we kind of uh, kept it. Actually, internally we were called the Custo team. Mm -hmm. uh, and Custo is a language, so the query language of Azure Data Explorer. So it's, uh, it's kind of in context. It's an analytical platform. So uh, for analyzing telemetry data. So as opposed mm -hmm. to data warehousing. Um, use case, we're more after the real-time analytics and telemetry data. So telemetry data would be anything that has a timestamp, really. Uh, mm -hmm. the, two, the two main culprit would be um, logs or IoT uh, signals. Those are the two big ones. Yeah. But of course, you have other stuff. You can have things like uh, CDN data or all types of anything that basically is like on a fire hose and it's happen only like the data keeps coming and you don't really update the data so the pattern acquisition pattern and the querying mm -hmm. patterns are a bit different than your typical uh, data warehousing analytical platform um, yeah where i i see it mostly used in the customers i work with is uh where they've been uh, centralizing logs and things in in through uh, into log analytics and so on but uh uh, also a couple in terms of IoT, but uh, again, I suppose one of the one of the concerns I do hear in that sort of thing is about the ongoing longer term cost of storage, and I sort of wonder how how well that fits with IoT, where where the data rates might be really really high. Yeah, so typically with telemetry, the 
the value of your data kind of diminishes with time. Uh, mm. So the most recent data is more valuable than the data a week ago or a month ago. Yeah. And that's why real-time analytics is interesting because you want to analyze the data as soon as possible so that you can take decisions mm -hmm. in real time and your digital transformation. And so uh, ADX is optimized to do that. Like it's a really good platform for ingesting um, and also querying the, the data in, in near real time. Mm -hmm. And then you can set up policies where you cache in ADX where you cache the data, uh, the most recent data, and you keep the, uh, the, the older data in storage. So it's still queryable, but not as fast. And then you can have retention policy where you say after three months, the data is no longer any value for me. So you can delete mm -hmm. it and it's taken care of by the platform. That's great. And so in terms of Azure Cosmos DB, um, do you see this being used for sort of general purpose data coming out of that or mostly again for IoT style data? Uh, both. Uh, Cosmos DB has a lot of use cases. Um, you can have general like website backends. Uh, mm -hmm. IoT data, definitely. That's where we saw a lot of overlaps and that's where why we went to build that feature of integrating one with the other. Mm. Um, but you do have like the, the typical scenario for Cosmos DB that like the archetype scenario for me is like you have a lot of data because Cosmos DB can be really large. Like I've seen customers with petabytes of data in a transactional database. And, but usually the uh, querying pattern is that you look at a micro partition. Let's say you have a website uh, that's open to the entire world. So like with tens or hundreds of thousands of users mm -hmm. uh, hitting it at the same time, but each users are looking, let's say at their high score list or something that belongs to them. So it's part of a mini partition. Then mm -hmm. Cosmos DB is able to return the data on a query extremely quickly, like in a, mm. a milli, milli, milliseconds latency and very uh, reliably. Uh, so is, is I, that the the main thing you see as a reason for moving the data across into Data Explorer is the ability to query large amounts very quickly, where, where if you had to go through individual documents and things directly on Cosmos DB, that would be harder? Yeah, so they're optimized for different things, as I mentioned. Cosmos DB is really that—that's the scenario for querying, uh, for mm -hmm. writing. It can ingest a lot of data. But if you want to do analytics, typically analytics, you'll want to do aggregations over a lot of documents. You'll want to mm -hmm. get, you know, an average by customer types or something. And this is where Cosmos DB will kind of break. Like it's not optimized to do that uh, for multiple reasons. It's stored in document uh, format. It is indexed but it doesn't have the features that ADX will have. Like for instance, ADX is column-based, uh, which is great for analytics. So if you do want to do an aggregation on, on one column, it's compressed on the, into that column and indexed for that specific column. So you could go through billions of records in sub-seconds and get an aggregation. So this is where the, 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 they, they really complement each other. Mm. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's great. And so, in terms of getting the data out of Azure Cosmos DB, uh, so this uses the change feed. And so right. many people listening will be familiar with the change feed, but I might get you to just, uh, again, just summarize what that achieves uh, when we use that. Yeah, so that's a feature of Cosmos DB that we chose to leverage to do our integration. So the change feed in Cosmos DB will contain, it's an API, 
And when you call it, uh, you can see all the changes that happen inside your database or your container, actually. Um, because Cosmos DB has the taxonomy of like a Cosmos DB account and a, a database and a container is where you store documents. So you mm -hmm. can find all the changes on your documents and you can have like a continuation token. So the next time you call it, say, hey, what changed since last time? And you'll yeah. get all the changes like that. And this is what we leverage in a fully managed way. So you do just create a connection in ADX and it will download the data like that in a continuous fashion. Uh, it, does it, so it's downloading it, it's not being pushed, the data? Uh, no, so the connection is initiated from ADX to mm -hmm. Cosmos DB. So ADX talks to Cosmos DB. And for that reason, you need, uh, if I get a bit technical, you need a line of sight network-wise. Yep. So if you if you hide your Cosmos DB behind a private endpoint, you need to have a managed private endpoint in ADX so that ADX is able to talk. And mm -hmm. similarly, in terms of RBAC or access control, uh, ADX manage identity. So uh, ADX is a, cl a cluster, but can have an identity or you can use user managed identity as well but they need to have access to Cosmos DB. So they need some permissions to be able to talk to your Cosmos DB. So it's really from ADX mm -hmm. to Cosmos DB, although the data flows from Cosmos DB to ADX. Yeah. And importantly in Cosmos DB, this is at the container level uh, that this is implemented as opposed to other types of databases where you see everything that's associated with the database or account. This is very much at the container level. Yes, now, and you can set the permissions at the container level as well. Mm. Now, in terms of the connection between the two, I suppose the the first aspect of that uh, is the authentication. And I recall, I think, the, is it a preference or is it the only way to do it is uh, to try and use the managed identity for authentication? It is the only way for now. So we mm -hmm. chose to limit ourselves to managed identity because it's a best practice in Azure. Yep. Also on our side, engineering wise, it's simpler because then we because the alternative would be to use Cosmos DB access keys. Yeah. But then you need to look into a bunch of a uh, bunch of things like uh, managing the secrets of the customer, mm -hmm. uh, making sure they don't leak. Uh, if they do rotation of the keys, uh, what do you do? Um, so the, all, all that type of things went away when we, once we started to say, yeah. just, just use managed identity, the underlying certificate is managed for you and, mm. uh, you just need to give access to that managed identity and you're good to go. I, I must admit, I wish I could get all of the groups in Microsoft, <laughs> the different product groups to think the same way. It's, it's a, it's an endless frustration for me still at the moment that we don't have that in tooling like Power BI and. You know, those sort of yes. areas. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the, yeah, the fact we yeah, we don't have that sort of managed identity structure where at least with uh, tools like we use this all the time with say like data factory connecting to a database and things like that, it just becomes the most elegant way of doing it. Uh, does it support both system managed identities and user assigned managed identity system? Yes. Um, oh, yeah. sorry, managed identities. You mm -hmm. support both and you just select, when you create your data connection, you select which one you want to use. So either the uh, yep. cluster managed identity or any uh, user yeah, identity. So... And you can even like the 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 form or the, uh, the the wizard will take you. If you want to add a new user managed identity to your cluster, you can do it directly from the connection uh, mm -hmm. stream, basically. Great. 
And look, one of the challenges uh, with the change feed, I suppose there's a, a couple of things. Um, the big one that tends to come up all the time is the fact that change feed doesn't propagate deletes. And mm-hmm. so what's the recommended uh, thinking there? Yeah, so that's a good point. So uh, as you mentioned, the change feed shows the new documents and the updated documents. And from the change feed perspective, there is no difference. Like do you have the entire document payload uh, with the timestamp when it was created or updated. So mm-hmm. ADX doesn't really know if it's new or not. And so the way we work with that is we happen only inside a table. So when you create your data connection, you bind two things. You bind Cosmos DB to ADX. On the Cosmos DB side, you bind a container. On the ADX side, you bind a Custo table and potentially a mapping to tell Custo how to map a JSON document to a table columns. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, so we don't see the deleted, like the change feed just doesn't expose them. So we don't see them. Uh, yeah. The patterns we suggest that people use is uh, something that has been inside the Cosmos DB community for quite a while is the uh, soft delete pattern mm-hmm. where you choose whatever property you want in your document, like a is deleted, is deleted that type yeah. of property. Mm-hmm. And when you set it to true, that means the document is no longer useful. But that update will be caught on the change feed and will be propagated to ADX. Mm. And then you can later change or delete uh, the actual document. And then in, you know, inside Custo, you can filter out the deleted documents from your queries. It's something I haven't ever thought about looking into in uh, Cosmos DB. But is there any way to literally enforce that pattern? So, uh, for example, in SQL Server, uh, I can create an instead of trigger that says if someone tries to delete a row in a table uh, that I could, instead of deleting it, sort of set a property that says, or set a column that says is deleted. Just never actually wondered, is there a way of doing exactly the same thing? Not to my knowledge. Mm, yeah. No. The thing that is recommended is that you, the thing that is recommended is that you set your property and then you send, uh, you set the time to live on your document. So it's going to mm-hmm. be deleted automatically in a day or whatever yeah. you want to. No, it'd just be nice that if somebody didn't follow the pattern and deleted it, that there was a way of saying, no, 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 we don't let you delete it. We only uh, set the property. But yeah, that that's, that would be interesting. I'll talk that to being Mark said, Brown about uh... that one. <laughs> That, that being said, there's a, a future version of the change feed. Actually, I think it's already in public preview for mm-hmm. Cosmos DB that will include the deletes and will also include the all the updates. So oh, uh, excellent. Technic- yeah, because that's the other thing is that at present we currently get uh, not all the updates, but the latest version. Exactly. So if you would mm. like for from ADX perspective, let's say you would shut down because you can shut down a cluster and or pause it, if you will. So if you would shut it down for one week and during that week, you would update the document five times. Uh, when you restart your cluster, it will remember where it was. But when it will yep. query the change feed, it will only have the latest update. It will it will not lose data in that sense. Like it won't lose the latest update, but the four other updates you will never see. Uh, mm. But if your cluster runs and there's no outage in the cloud, we take a look at the change feed every second or so. So in, in mm. general, that's not an issue. With the new change feed, uh, you're gonna have the history for the for only for two weeks. But uh, if you you know update your documents like two thousand times per seconds, you're gonna be able to see that all in uh, in Custo. Because there's mm. two scenarios really that people are after. Most people are after 
looking at the image of what Cosmos DB is right now. So they want to look at the latest version of their documents and removing the deleted, that type of thing. But the other scenario is to look at ADX for an archive or an audit log of what happened in Cosmos DB. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. So the so yeah, as I said, so it only has that latest thing. So what that means though is that Data Explorer is basically polling that change feed. Uh, and did you say every second or so is the yep. sort of time yep. frame for that? How does that fit if someone wanted to have, say, a serverless Cosmos DB, or is that just a, a non-starter for, for these sorts of things? Yeah, if you do that, we're going to query it every second. So it's probably... Uh, you probably bring it back to, to life all the time. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm thinking. So yeah, so that... that and yeah, so there's no... Hmm, that's interesting. Um, we might uh, we might come up with... I know there was discussion during the design phase. Should we let the users set that up? Because once again, it's great if you want to have real-time analytics. And actually, mm. uh, we did we ran tests and the demo I always run. I get sub-second query latency in a query, but ingestion latency. So the the time difference between Cosmos DB committing a document with its own timestamp and the time that mm -hmm. ADX commits the same row in the database, like the ingestion time in, in Custo, for those who are familiar. Mm. Uh, the difference between the two is like below one second. It's usually 0.8 seconds. So it's it's very fast, but it's not for everybody. Like some people just care to look at it at the end of the day or something. So it might be yeah. uh, overkill for some people. But for the first version, especially for the public preview, we wanted to get some feedback and we didn't want to overload because once you get, start mm. putting all those nubs, then the the experience becomes very complicated. So that's yeah. the Yeah, yeah although I, yeah, I could Im imagine it would almost be desirable to be able to configure like a schedule uh, where where it does and doesn't. Yeah, because I'm, I'm just thinking to fit in uh, with something yeah, like or just service. do it like we were yeah. thinking about uh, putting the the polling, like you could say poll every hour or something. Mm. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm thinking more that like I can imagine sites where you know it's really quiet during their concept of night and uh, mm -hmm. and then busy a whole lot of the rest of the day, and maybe you could, or even I suppose it it really comes down to also when somebody actually even wants to query the data. So uh, mm -hmm. if that's only certain times of the day, yeah polling that would keep the server alive might not might not be that desirable yeah no that's interesting the um and now in terms of things to set up in uh, or configuring this and so we need to have a table or create a table in data explorer first mm -hmm. up and yep. so characteristics of that table anything terribly special yeah, so if you don't specify a mapping for the table, the mm -hmm. default mapping for JSON in ADX is to take the JSON documents, look at the first level of properties, look at those names, yep. and try to match it with column names. So that's the default mm -hmm. mapping. If you don't put a mapping, that's what we're going to do. We don't suggest you do that for a couple of reasons. Uh, the biggest one is that there's a special thing in uh, Customers DB, the timestamp, like the underscore TS uh, yeah. field. That's uh, usually it's an important field, especially if you want to look at the latest version of a document, you'll want to do an argmax on, on that field. Mm. And ADX is a time series database and it's optimized to manage time. So we suggest that when you ingest the data, you map that field and you transform it into date time. So then you 
you know, you sign into all the optimizations we have for data. Mm. So for that reason, see, I wouldn't suggest unless it's something very small you're doing. If it's a mm. something like a couple of megabytes, it won't buy. It won't matter. But if you go into gigabytes and terabytes, it's when it becomes yeah, because the underscore ts property uh is actually a long isn't it it's a long int exactly it's like like the number of seconds since uh, january 1st 1970 or something like Mm -hmm. like the unix Uh, uh, Unix like a unix yeah uh time or something like that whereas the underscore timestamp that normally happens in the Custo tables and things that's actually a date time Type exactly. Problem. And then it's more convenient mm. for queries as well, because you have a lot of functions inside Custo where it'll say, for instance, query everything since the last day. Mm-hmm. But the last day, in terms of seconds, you would need to calculate it. So it's more uh, convenient to have that and for reporting purposes as well. It's uh, just better to have that. So for that reason, we suggest that type of mapping. But uh, otherwise, yeah, we suggest to put the, usually I put the the ID because it's useful to find the document back. Sometimes you want to troubleshoot. So it's nice to have the ID mm. and the original timestamp. Usually I keep both, like I keep the underscore TS. I ingest that one as is and then one map to a date time uh, type so that I can troubleshoot. Like if I look at the document, I can make sure that, okay, the timestamp is equal. I don't need to reverse engineer the uh, number of mm. seconds. And otherwise, then you can put uh, all the fields you want to capture from your document. Is there any way in Custo uh, to specify for a session that this is my local time zone? So when I do relative date and time operations, it's relative to my time? No, there isn't. And I know it's a Mm. feature requested by people because we work with UTC which yeah. can be annoying at time. And I know it's a request we have all the time, but it's a colleague of mine who's taking care of that. So I don't know where we are with that. We're mm. supposed to come with something that uh, we would show the time in the uh, time frame of the person querying, like either using yeah. the browser. It's, I don't know what the mechanic is, is but uh, I know we were working I, on it. I have this problem all the time in thing tools like Power BI, right? Um, and they've got all of these wonderful relative date and time functions. And yet I can't use any of them. Because... Time is a complicated thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's just that when a user says, you know, yesterday, um, they don't mean yesterday in terms of UTC. They mean yesterday in terms of their own concept of time. You know? and, yeah. uh, and so, yeah, that, that sort of thing ends up being very problematic. I mean, um, I mean, it's worse where I have scenarios like, say, uh, here in Melbourne, you know, I might have someone who's, every piece of data they're dealing with is is Melbourne time zone. You know, like like all of the people are accessing at a Melbourne time zone and then to say, well, yeah, we're going to do all the calculations on UTC. They're like, really? <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, and when you say, you know, in, in the last week, we're going to make that UTC week rather than your week. And they're like, oh, no. So, <laughs> no, for sure. And, but then you have the, the other way around scenario. If you do your yeah. aggregation, let's say you bucket per day, then uh, you're going to see different buckets in Melbourne than me in Montreal. And that yep. can be weird if we exchange emails. So no, daytime is uh, the complex. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, I'm it's, looking... it's tricky. Hi, this is Greg coming to you from another time and place. If you have a data-related project that needs to get off to a great start with the right architecture, or if you have an existing project that's off the rails, why not contact us? We help organizations of all sizes, from startups to tier one financials, 
and we can help you too. Check us out at sqldownunder.com. One of the features I'm managing is uh, it's a new feature we're looking at supporting protobuf. Uh, you might know protobuf. It's a tree uh, serializing mechanism. It's used in gRPC, so uh, mm-hmm. Google uh, RPC or remote procedure call. And uh, I was <laughs> I was surprised to see when I did the research on it that uh, you know it has built-in types like integers and that type of thing, and has no daytime built-in. Like those are actually extended types. <laughs> so yeah, I said, okay, look, didn't, didn't want to open the can of worm. <laughs> it, it, it's always in in the IT industry, you know, dates and times and things have just been just a thing. <laughs> you know, as, oh yeah, as long like as I've been in the industry. It's it's very difficult to map the daytime, let's say, from .NET to Java or to Go. Yep. It's it's all different. So yeah. So it's but even even JSON, uh, the yeah, the, yeah, in terms of the basic definitions there and things, and it's it's so lacking in and around date time areas. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, they have been an endless challenge. I think dates and times. And uh, in fact, uh, when we teach uh, developer classes in uh, in the SQL Server end of things, you know, I spend like a whole module, you know, just on on dealing with dates and times because there's just so many intricacies that are just not obvious, you know, uh, yeah. as to how that all works. And then, of course, you have the, in a product that's been around as long as SQL Server, you then have the, you know, the old code and then the new code and it doesn't kind of work the same, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and so you get these the sort of, yeah, how, uh, dealing with a, yeah, <laughs> backwards compatibility for things that I think they wish didn't work the way they used to work. And but I, I do, I do, you know, I, I I see people knocking the backward compatibility because it messes a lot of things up. But but I, I have to tell you, every every time I open up uh, a database project or a bunch of uh, SQL Server scripts or something, and no matter how old those scripts are, they pretty much always run almost almost without change you know and yeah. uh, whereas i i open up uh, development stuff like a c c sharp project in visual studio and if i haven't touched it for two months you know I, I, it's often like i spend the first half hour or hour just trying to get back to where i was when i last left it because so many things have changed and uh, yeah, well, you can I, always I do. do a you can always do a quick modernization. Just update all your new get packages, and you're up for a ride. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. But so, like, I had I had one of those the other day. It was a telephony thing, actually generating IoT data. Um, but of course, you end up with conflicting dependencies on the on the new get packages, and and after about two hours, I, in the end, I just gave up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> roll just, back. Just, yeah, <laughs> it was just simply not possible to move forward. So yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. And so, look. So, the, so the first step we said was to create a table yeah. um, at the uh, Azure Data Explorer side. end. Yep. What and next? And then you then you would create a data mapping. So that's an object you attach uh, to the table. It's all done with uh, you know query language. You pass commands, say create table. Then you say create data mapping on that table. And the data mapping is basically a JSON object where you give a list of mapping where you say that column maps to that path in the JSON. So I start from the root of the JSON, which is dollar mm-hmm. sign dot uh, that uh, that property dot that other property. If you go, want to yep. go down the hierarchy, and you map it to a column, potentially with a transformation, like I mentioned, transforming mm-hmm. integer like along to a date time. Uh, so that's the data mapping. And you once you have is, that, you're good to to go for the data connection. I noticed when you create a table, 
uh, it has that option to do ingestion, JSON mapping, and and so on on the, as part of the definition of the when you're defining the table. Um, I noticed the mapping has a has a name in all the examples I looked at, and yep. is that I'm I'm trying to think why would you have a name for that, or is that something that can live as a separate object somehow? Yeah, so uh, multiple reasons. Although I would say in general, people have one mapping per table and they're yeah. happy with it. A uh, couple of scenarios where you would have multiple mappings per table. Uh, versioning is one. So you're changing one mm -hmm. uh, one ingestion to the other. Or uh, in more complex scenario, when you have multiple sources uh, pushing data into one table, uh, mm -hmm. you might even have different formats. So you might have JSON on one side, CSV, JZIP on the other side, or mm -hmm. Avro. Or Parquet. Yep. So for that reason, you might have multiple mappings. Great. And I noticed that in the mapping, uh, there's an option there to do a basic transformation, say from like we were saying before with the long ints uh, or the big ints or whatever, the, the long values for the uh, underscore TS style of timestamp across to an actual date time. Uh, there's that looks like a transform and you can say date time from Unix seconds. Uh, yep. Or is that something you have to build, or is there a bunch of those? No, there's a. I would in? say there's a. There's there are a few of those. There's not many. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a daytime transformation, and I think like dictionary mapping as well. But uh, that's about it. So one, once, if you have like more complex mapping you want to do, then we suggest that you use what we call an update policy to do something uh, more complex, and then you're free to do. Uh, you can use the query language to do whatever you want. So an update policy, you could think of it as a mini ETL running inside Custo. So you define, mm -hmm. uh, you have your landing table where you land your data from Cosmos DB. Then you define another table, potentially with a different schema. And then you could define an update policy on that second table with the source of that update policy being your landing table. So every time something lands in your landing first table, uh, you can run a query on the data that was just ingested on that table and mm. push the result of the query into your um, your second table. And that's a very powerful concept. You can do stuff like flattening an array, for instance, if you have that in Cosmos DB. Uh, one of your property might be an array, but in uh, for mm. an article reason, you might want to have one row per element of the array and you want, you want to yeah. expand that array into its constituents. So you can do that with an update policy. Uh, you can filter out things that you don't want. So uh, often in Cosmos DB, you'll use something that's uh, sometimes referred to as a polymorphic. Uh, mm -hmm. pattern so you'll have multiple types of documents inside the same container because you want to save yep. them in one transaction uh, but so you you might want to route those different documents to different tables so one oh, way to in, do in that in the custo end yes indeed right exactly so mm -hmm. one way to do that very simply is you could have a landing table with no schema you would have only one column of type json it's called dynamic like a type uh, mm -hmm. that can receive json so you receive it as is then you have an update policy uh, you have different tables for your different document types and each table as the source as the landing table they do a uh, simple filter and then they can expand the, the schema that they want. Mm. So that way you kind of route, you do, technically you don't route, but at the end of the day, you're kind of routing the data from the landing table to different tables. So that's another thing you can do with uh, update policy. It's quite a powerful concept. So yeah, so basically an update policy is a chunk of Custo that runs on that data coming from the ingestion pipeline 
before yeah. it gets sort of pushed in. Yeah, that's awesome. As opposed, and you can to... do uh, and you can do multiple steps. You can do like mm. uh, you can have staging tables in between. Uh, you can choose not to persist the data if you wanted that optimization. Yep. You can have zero retention on your table. Uh, so sometimes people do that when they have complex transformation. Like I've seen customers with, uh, that's not necessarily with Cosmos DB, but uh, when you have logs with uh, kind of arcane format where you have, uh, you know, like pipe delimited uh, fields, but uh, the first field will tell you what type of records it is. And uh, there'll be a different number of pipes depending on the type of records. So that thing you'll do definitely with an update policy. And you might want to do it in multiple steps so you can troubleshoot if mm. you have errors this all sounds really interesting that's good the and i suppose you you do have a minor cost associated because basically you're running queries against that uh api all the time anyway but mm -hmm. i presume that's actually fairly low the that yeah we did uh, some tests actually there was a concern at the beginning uh because we'd looked at different yeah, i'm just saying like uh, every second yeah but it, it, it's it's not a heavy query so yeah yeah, so the the test that we ran is that actually so there's 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 two components. There's the overhead. So every time you call the change API, we call it for every physical partition in Cosmos DB. So mm -hmm. just a little refresher, like when you define a document, you need to give it a logical partition, and that is spread or compacted into physical partitions. So physical partition will be yeah. associated with servers in the backend. Usually you have few, like if you have a, like a small database, you might have only one contain, uh, one physical partition. You might have up to, I don't know, 20 or something like this. Not, it's not a big number, uh, but mm -hmm. so we're gonna call it for every physical partition. Uh, so that we can scale better. So if you ingest like gigabytes of data per second, we're able to do it because we have multiple uh, physical partitions and API. Uh, so for each time we we call that uh, each um, physical partition change feed that's uh, incur like a two RUs. That's the uh, unit for Cosmos DB for costs. It's the uh, request units. So each time, so if you have like five physical partitions for each second, we're gonna consume five times two, so ten RUs. That's mm -hmm. the overhead, and after that we consume about two percent. That's the test we did. Like we ran uh, writing a bunch of documents and then reading it through the change feed is quite cheap. It's cheaper than doing queries like directly uh, on the uh, query API. So it's about 2%. So let's say you write for 1,000 RUs of documents. When ADX will read it, it will incur a cost of about 20 RUs. So it's quite cheap, but it's not zero either. So if mm -hmm. you're running at full capacity, you need to, you might be able, uh, you might need to crank it a little bit, but otherwise it should be okay. Uh, the reason we did that every second, uh, actually, I was behind that decision. It was uh, we because we, we we kind of talk about it for a while. So we don't want that. The last thing we wanted to do is disrupt the uh, the workload of the customer. So the, the oh, idea yeah. of putting analytics <laughs> is not to screw up the uh, the transactional workload. Mm. But then the RUs, when you pay for RUs in the customer's DB, it's throttle like it's computed every second. And, and customer's DB, it's a, it's really a great piece of engineering underneath. They uh, they compute it for every second and the the world start over every second. So whatever you did last second, it's not important. Like you got like if you have like a ten thousand RUs container, every second you got ten thousand RUs. So we thought, well, let's do it every second because there's not much value to do it every five seconds because then it's kind of randomizing the transactional workload anyway because it, it might work for a while depending on the the query pattern. So let's, we said uh, let's do it every second. 
that was the reasoning behind. I don't know if we'll change it by mm. the end of the public preview, but uh, that's what it is now. Awesome. Well, look, that pretty much brings us to time, Vincent. The, um, is there anything happening where people will see you or hear from you and other things or anything else coming up? Uh, if, in terms of events, no, we are on a bit of a crunch right now, so we mm-hmm. don't travel too much. Uh, but they'll definitely see me on LinkedIn. And if they want to try it, I uh, I suggest you let me find you a link for them. I should have should have prepared that in advance. Um, yeah. Oh, there's if, I, nowadays if they just search uh, for ingest data from Azure Cosmos DB into Azure Data Explorer, that'll take them straight to the documentation page. So. Yeah, if you look in the documentation of ADX, for sure you're mm. gonna uh, you're gonna find it by just tapping t- uh, typing uh, Cosmos DB. Cosmos Otherwise, DB, you yeah. can go to uh, aka.ms/adx.cosmos. So aka.ms. Oh, nice shortcut. Cool. adx.cosmos, and you'll get to the uh, the learn.microsoft.com page that will walk you through how to do it. If you look at our uh, YouTube channel, I did a video on it that I basically walk you through the exact same thing, but it's in the video. So sometimes it's nicer to see somebody doing it. Um, and I'll be posting new videos. Like right now, we just, uh, today actually, we just got to supporting private endpoints. So if you have a Cosmos DB ah, very good. behind a private endpoint, you can create a managed private endpoint in ADX. I might do a video about it because mm. uh, it, it takes quite a while for all the networking to set up. So in a video, it's going to be good. Yeah. I'm going to cut everything. So it takes yeah. five minutes yeah. to show. So it, look, it looks really, really fast in the video. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. Hey, listen, what's, what's the best way to provide feedback if people do try it? Uh, they can uh, reach me. Uh, how, can, how can they provide feedback in general? They can reach me on LinkedIn. Search for mm-hmm. uh, for my name that you'll probably have on your podcast. Yep. Uh, otherwise, they can go on the uh, in the documentation page. There's a place to put uh, to provide feedback on the documentation, mm-hmm. but it it will reach us one way or the other. We're in right. public preview right now. We're targeting GA for March-ish. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll be lucky if we get too much, but uh, around that time frame. So in between, we're super open for feedback and uh, uh, positive or bad. Like we we want to uh, we want to make <laughs> Hear it all. Yeah, that's good. Hey, listen, thanks so much for your time today. Hey, thank you, Greg. It was nice speaking with you.